0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from Universal. I'm not supposed to be it, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so you know, do
0: don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back.
1: All right, welcome in to another Buzz Beat. The Hornets just finished beating the Atlanta Hawks by 10 points. A very, very important game when it comes to the standings. The Hornets are now 35-35. and The Hawks now 34-35. and So they have flip-flop places in the Eastern Conference. Before we get into this quick solo recap of the game, if you guys can just take 30 seconds out of your day and give us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcast. I know a lot of you guys have already done that for us, but if you're a new listener listening to us for the first time, that is the best way to support us. If you leave a great review, we typically read those on air as well. So let's jump into this thing. Uh, My other three co-hosts thought it was more important to watch college basketball tonight instead of the Charlotte Hornets in this very meaningful game tonight. And like Eric Collins was saying on the broadcast, now the Hornets and the Hawks split the series 2-2 on the on the season. But because there is another tiebreaker involved with divisional records, I think the Hawks would beat out the Hornets in that situation uh, if the trend were to continue from here on out uh, for the rest of the season. So this was more about making sure that the Hornets stay above the Hawks in the standings, and yes, there are still 12 games remaining for the Hornets, 13 games remaining for the Hawks. So there's still some season left to play, but it's nice to see that the Hornets have a half game lead up on the Hawks. If the season were to end today, obviously it does not. Uh, The Hornets would have an advantage over the Hawks when it comes to playing on the home court, which we just saw them take a victory over the Hawks. So let me get into this game in terms of my thoughts, my observations. We saw a very concerted effort uh, on the Hornets and on the defensive side of the court in terms of how they guarded Trey Young. Now, Trey Young in his 38 minutes of play tonight was three of 12 from the field, only nine points, which is a season low. He did have 15 assists, but we'll get to that here in a second. The Hornets did a great job of focusing their attention on him and Terry Rozier was the primary guy that defended him. And as we all know, Terry Rozier is not the greatest of defenders, but I thought his activity tonight uh, on the ball with Trey Young was was important, was impactful. Like I, th- I think that wasn't the issue early on in this game when it came to the Hawks scoring some points. It was not because Terry Rozier was getting lost on the ball. Whenever there was a... True pick and roll, not one of those like ghost screens where uh, they don't necessarily set a body on a body for a screen. They trapped. Trey Young and tried to get the ball out of his hands. But if it was more of like a ghost screen, they would switch that action just to make sure that that shooter that was popping out for three was not open. But if they did come up and and set a ball screen, a hard ball screen, whether it was Plumlee, whether it was Montrez, whether it was another big, those players would trap uh, Young to get the ball out of his hands, force him inside the arc uh, or force someone else to beat them. And for the most part, that game plan did work more so in the second half when it came to the three-point shooting. Uh, one thing that I did notice as well it was the transition defense. In the first half, in that second quarter, there was a spell kind of midway towards the end of the second quarter where Charlotte just wasn't picking up defensively in transition. And, It's one thing to have your focus fully on Trey Young and make sure that uh, he doesn't have a clear path for a pull-up three in transition or getting all the way to the basket. Uh, But obviously, you also got to focus on the other four players that are running up and down the court. And there was a time where just Young was picking the Hornets apart in that second quarter, and they were getting pretty much open looks from three in transition. But overall, I thought the game plan itself was a fine one, and it worked in Charlotte's favor. They let the other players on the Atlanta Hawks beat them, and they were unable to do so, and they held Trey Young to a season low in points. We're driven by the search
0: for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on the old man. And the three make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to the old man and the three ad free on Wondery plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: When it comes to the impact players for the Charlotte Hornets, uh, you can kind of look up and down the roster. I mean, there were some players that were kind of absent tonight. Cody Martin didn't have much of an impact. Kelly Oubre had a couple of drives, but was pretty much non a non-factor tonight. Isaiah Thomas, you know, one of four tonight in eight minutes of play. Jalen McDaniels is still kind of finding his footing, coming back from his injury. But I'll, I'll say this. I thought the play from the bigs tonight was huge. Montrez and Plumlee. They both had their moments in terms of making their imprint on this game. And I know that Plumlee got a lot of flack earlier in the season for some of his play. But first off, I don't think it was all that bad to begin with, but number two, there's something about a player coming into a new team where you've got to allow them to find the synergy playing with teammates and their tendencies And just kind of finding their way within the team and what their role is. And so that's why I wasn't so quick to judge Plumley. Now, he's not a great center by any means. Uh, There's still some downfalls with his game. like On offense, sometimes when we need to get going towards the basket, he will sometimes go side to side, east to west, and doesn't create a lot of pressure. We all know about his free throw struggles and maybe playing him late in games because... Uh, teams can hack a Plumlee. Uh, We've seen the left-handed free throw shooting, which has been exponentially better than his right hand. And I made a mention of this on Twitter, but you know, I think it's because he doesn't have a hitch with his left hand. Like it's, it's, it's smoother. Like he just with his left hand, he just follows through and, and goes for it. The more misses he had shooting with his right hand, the more he probably thought about it. And it was, it was a mental side to that, but Anyway, Plumlee, I, I thought, was a, a very good player tonight. 5 of 7 from the field, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. Uh, I, I do love that that backdoor pass synergy that he has with Rozier. It doesn't always end in assist, whether it's a, a stolen pass or whether Rozier doesn't come up with a clean catch or, or he misses the shot. But I like the fact that Plumlee tries those backdoor passes because it does give... that counter to the way that the teams play him they know that he's so prone to going sideways for that dribble handoff and that off ball player can kind of shoot back door for that pass and Plumley, more times than not does put the ball on the money and leads the player right in for that layup so i I thought he was very impactful tonight he even had a, a sky hook in the third quarter trez as well man like he got involved early in that second quarter it typically is that pairing with LaMelo in that second quarter where those two see some run together more so than any other part in the game. He w- his energy is so infectious in terms of whether it's the rebounds, with the 50-50 balls, uh, even just drawing fouls, like he's like the master of the putback dunk as well. He even had a steal tonight in the fourth quarter. Can't remember if he was the one that missed it or someone else missed it and Atlanta tried to secure the rebound. And within a second, he steals it in the backcourt, goes up for a dunk. And that fourth quarter was when they needed the momentum the most because it was a tie game uh, heading into that fourth quarter. And he brings that energy. And, you know, he may not be the best player when it comes to the defensive side of the court, uh, but at least with his ability to be vocal, I think, you know, in the very least, it promotes communication on that end of the court. That end of the court is typically one that Charlotte struggles with. So again, Plumlee, Trez, both big-time players tonight. And obviously, we'll talk about P.J. here in a second. But I just want to run down a couple other players that I wanted to note. And let's get to LaMelo Ball here. He had a near triple-double once again. 22 points, 11 assists, 8 rebounds 7 of 16 from the field, 5 of 10 from deep. His three-point shot was working tonight. He had a couple of driving kicks in the first quarter where teams would run him off the line. He would get into the teeth of the defense and kick it out to Miles Bridges in the corner or whoever. Overall, a, a solid game from LaMelo Ball tonight, and he did pick up a couple of fouls early in the game, and one of them happened to be a take foul, which, you know, it's kind of a silly foul to have, and, you know, Borrego's got to pull you because you got two fouls that early in the first quarter. The funny thing was, he did come back in, if I'm not mistaken, towards the end of the first quarter, even though he had two fouls on him. Got to learn to play without fouling, but also he's probably going to have to learn to play when he is in foul trouble, and that does take away some of his aggressiveness on the defensive side of the court, or you think it would. Uh, Terry Rozier did not shoot the ball well from behind the arc tonight, but... He is proving to me that he can score in other ways. Last year, I made a big note of it about how impressive his improvements were from the mid-range. Short mid-range, long mid-range, more so the short mid-range from that 4 to kind of 14-foot area. The reason that this is so important, especially on a night like tonight where he is 25% from behind the arc, if he's got no other place to score, I mean, yes, you like the fact that he provides that gravity as the three-point movement shooter, uh, but you're still going to want to get buckets out of T-Row. And a guy that, first off, is seeing more time as a primary ball handler, because Isaiah Thomas only played eight minutes tonight, in, just in general, you, you see Terry Rozier, whether it's... As the one or maybe just latent shot clock situations where he's having to create for himself. And recently, you kind of felt that the confidence from him where he strings together a couple of dribble moves, spins, hesitates, fades, and he's done a very, very good job you know, since January 1, since February 1, just kind of when this new year has started, you can kind of filter all these stats, take out the first couple of months of the season. He's done very well in the mid-range. And I think a lot of people thought that last season was kind of like an aberration uh, when it comes to the mid-range and that he would regress back down to where his normal statistics stood from the mid-range area. Well, to be honest with you, he's actually... And generally speaking, he's been better, I mean, slightly from the mid-range this year than he was last year. And if you take out that slow start this year, the gap probably would be even even bigger. And so he had several pull-up mid-range shots in the second half in which the Hornets desperately needed it, especially for a guy that, you know, was not shooting the ball well from deep where he typically is. And then we'll go ahead and just wrap up the, the game recap here with pj washington i know that there was a listener suggestion about us doing a player of the game and it's almost like i got to separate it by half like the first half i might give it to montrez the second half i might give it to pj but really pj didn't have the greatest of games from start to finish like it, it was a stretch in the fourth quarter for about five minutes and that's it he had 16 points tonight 13 of those 16 points came in the final four minutes and 20 seconds. And it all started with a missed dunk where he was on the right side of the court driving baseline. I haven't seen the replay, but it didn't seem like there was anything in his way to stop him from making this dunk. I didn't see that there was like truly a contested shot. I don't think, you know, Atlanta got any piece on the ball. He just missed the dunk. And, and, it's at that point in the game where you think, okay, this this is a point where the Hornets can extend their lead just a little bit more, give themselves some, some breathing room, because this game was a back-and-forth game for the most part, and there were 15 lead changes. It was tied 11 times, uh, and obviously this is a very important game for the Hornets. That missed dunk could have very well spiraled and gave the momentum to the Hawks. But since that missed dunk... P.J. went off. I mean, the next couple possessions afterwards, he had a driving layup over Capella. And he had a couple drives in this game. One in the first quarter in which he made it. And there's another drive that he had. He missed it. But it was good to see him play off of the dribble as well. And then he had a three-point make. After that possession, so the three consecutive possessions, the missed dunk, the driving layup over Capella, and the three-point make, it was crazy to see how he missed the easiest of the shots, and then the momentum shifted back in Charlotte's favor, and they did not look back. And he scored, like I said, 13 points in that fourth quarter, but really 13 points in the final four minutes and 20 seconds. And it was good to see him play well down the stretch, because he was having a pretty much like a ho-hum game up until that point. The, the last thing that I do want to end on here is that the Hornets were able to beat the Hawks uh, without Gordon Hayward. And Gordon Hayward is a guy, when you think about him, you think about the way that he is used against the Atlanta Hawks as a screener, especially on Trey Young, where Trey Young has to defend him uh, in that middle of the court area and that's clearly a mismatch in the strength advantage that Gordon Hayward has over Trey young and the Hornets are very successful in that type of action. And so to see them get it done without that pet play that they like to go to, you know, late in the game, it was refreshing. And there was one conversation that we had on Sunday about James Borrego. And someone has been asking me to also talk about the Hayward debate and so I'm, I'm just going to throw this in here. We were supposed to talk about it on the last podcast, uh, but because we were pressed for time, and if you haven't listened to our previous episode, it's, it's still an episode that can be listened to. It's not you know time-specific. A lot of different big picture stuff, conversations that we had uh, about Lamello's development, about James Borrego and the evaluation of him, and then just kind of talking about Isaiah Thomas. But there was one topic that was thrown my way in my DMs that I never got around to talking about. So... Like I said, first off, it was great to see the Hornets win without Hayward against a, you know, a play-in team in Atlanta. But I I do want to make just kind of my stance on Hayward known real quick. Not that people don't know my stance. If you've listened to this podcast, I think that there's two different conversations being had surrounded Hayward. And I think some people are trying to combine them into one. I, I think the two conversations are one, Hayward's importance to this team, and number two is it worth it to have Hayward on this team because of his contract, because of the fact that he's injury prone? Um, You know, is he worth that spot or is he just taking up too much money and would it be better used somewhere else? I think those are two separate issues to me. I'm arguing the first one. I'm arguing that he's a very impactful player for this roster. If you want to make the case that he's too injury prone and that he's not worth it to be on this team, that I can get with you. But if if you're making the case that Hayward's just not an important player and some of these statistics with the win loss record with him on the court versus him off the court, to me, to me, like I, I don't ever use the win loss record as a way to make my argument, but I do think it's a way to support my argument. With him on the court and healthy, again, like we we've talked about, he is injury prone. The Hornets are above 500 team without him. They've won about 30% of their games. Whenever I mention Hayward, like it's never a dig at any other player on the roster. All the pieces matter on this team. All the pieces matter. And I don't ever mention anyone else's name on the roster, but sometimes when I feel like I mention Hayward, it's somehow a dig at, you know, who, but, I'm not so concerned about the win-loss record. Like I said, I never use that to make my point. It's merely there to support it. Hayward is the best three-level scorer on this team. He's a connector. He's a half-court scorer when the game slows down. He's a calming presence. So when I say that Hayward is important, I'm not saying that the other players aren't because we've seen how the season has panned out where there's little room for error. When players go down, the mistakes that happen are just highlighted even more. So, every part is needed, I guess, is what I'm getting at. So, again, huge win tonight for the Hornets. Uh, I will stop having my little rant about Hayward. So, thanks again, guys, for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. Uh, we really appreciate your support so far. The Hornets don't play again uh, until Saturday against Dallas. And the Hornets are currently on a five game homestand, which is actually their longest homestand of the season there's some games on this homestand that are more winnable than others but this is the perfect game to pick up that momentum and work towards these last 12 games of the season again this is Richie signing out have a good one